It's common to hear people explain the gospel as if being saved is a decision a sinner can make whenever he or she chooses. But the story of Jonah provides clear evidence that God is the one making the choices. God appointed a fish to swallow the prophet. He later appointed a scorching east wind. Today, let's find out who's really in charge and whose purposes cannot be thwarted. Stay with us. From Chicago's Moody Church, this is Running to Win with Dr. Erwin Lutzer, whose clear teaching helps us make it across the finish line. Today, Dr. Lutzer continues his series on brokenness, how God gets us to say yes, studies in the book of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 2, we're learning about death to self-reliance and about a God who is always in control. We learned last time that he appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. God controlled the sailors as they made up their mind as to what to do to throw the cargo into the sea and what have you. And so God doesn't have trouble with that. Later on, we're going to find out that God doesn't have trouble with a worm and a plant that grows up. But God is having some trouble with a man who will defy him in a way that the wind doesn't, the dice don't, and the fish doesn't. But this man is going to say no to the will of God. And even when he's there, as God is trying to break him down, you'll still find out, as we'll learn next time, he was a very reluctant learner. Could I be talking today to somebody who is just plain stubborn? It's possible, but let's hurry on. We don't want to get too. So God was controlling. Today I'm speaking to some of you who, because of your own bad decisions, sinful, disobedient decisions, just like Jonah's decisions, you are today in a difficult spot. But it's because of the trail you chose. This is just the natural results of you taking the wrong path and insisting that you're going to take the wrong path and making one detour in your life after another. I'm speaking to you today and you say, well, can God help me? Well, did God help Jonah in his distress? And the answer is yes. Wherever you are today, cry to the Lord and he will listen and he will control and direct. And the reason that you can pray with confidence is because he is in charge and he can control and he can direct. That's one of the things that Job had to learn, didn't he? Where did Job's trial come from, God or the devil? It's a trick question. The answer is both. Immediate cause is Satan. Ultimate cause, God. That's why Job prays and says, The Lord gave, the Lord takes away. How do people die? Immediate cause, cancer, heart attack, all kinds of other creative ways that people die today. Ultimate cause, God. Blessed are those who can accept that and therefore receive God's comfort and know that he does all things well. So Jonah's theology here is is getting very, uh, very biblical. He understands that it's God who hurled the great wind upon the sea. It's God who cast him there. The the water belongs to God. It's your waves, your billows passed over me. It's, It's your seaweed that is wrapped around my head, he'll say later. God is controlling. God was answering. Here I pick it up at verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. 
I need to pause there for a moment. Isn't that exactly what Jonah wanted? Chapter 1, he flees from the presence of the Lord. And we learned last time what that meant. He was fleeing from God. He was saying, I'm resigning. I don't want you in my life. I'm not going to pray. He didn't pray in chapter 1 because what I want to do is to put God on the shelf and then put a tag on the shelf that reads to be dealt with later. I'm doing my own thing. Like one woman said, she got into a car and she squealed the tires and shouted out loud, God, I'll see you around town, as she did her own thing until finally God got her. God can get people. Now notice that he says, I am cast away from your presence. Well, Jonah, you should be very happy about that. That's exactly what you wanted is to be driven away from your sight. That's what my translation says. Remember, English standard version. It says, um, I am driven away from your sight. Well, Jonah, aren't you happy? There is no person in this world more miserable than someone who experiences the loss of God. The loss of God. No, it's not, it's not a cause for happiness. You may say, well, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm not going to relate to God. I'm not going to seek his direction. I'm not going to seek the counsel of godly people who can help me make decisions. I'm not going to seek the word of God. I know what I want to do and I will do it. Some of you are on the verge of making a decision that could ultimately end up destroying literally the rest of your life. Because you may trip a series of dominoes and not know where those dominoes are going to end up. So here he's saying, I, he says, was driven away from your sight. And now I'm discovering that that is a life of misery. When he says, I shall look again upon your temple. In verse 4, it's probably the temple in Jerusalem. He goes on to describe what he's going through. The waters closed in over me to take my life. After all, there was a period of time when he was thrown into the water before the fish caught him. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. That's when the fish swallowed him. It's as if now suddenly, now suddenly he was in this confinement that he couldn't get out of. And in his dilemma, he was crying to God. But I mentioned to you that God was answering. There it is. In verse 4, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. God answers. And uh, God was showing him that, that even in a dilemma over which we have no control, when we are finally brought to the end of manipulation, of self-will, of self-reliance, of, of dependence upon ourselves, of determination that we are going to change a situation. And God kicks all those props out from under us so that suddenly everything that we have been able to control no longer is under our thumb or under our feet. It is then that God meets us and answers us, and it is then that God comes through. So Jonah says that God was answering what else was God doing there? He was purifying. Two aspects to this purification. First of all, you'll notice he says in verse 7 and following, 
Well, let's look at uh, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Why does he throw that in there? Because his own will and his own desires he recognized to be an idol. You know, there are things that we set up, it says in the book of Ezekiel, that this people have set up idols in their own hearts. Our idol can be another person, it can be a vocation, it can be whatever we desire to do. That can be our idol that says, I want this even above the will and the purposes of God. I want this more than I want the glory of Jesus. And that's an idol. So he says, those, you know, who follow vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. They're not going to get through to God. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, he says, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, Lord, I made a commitment to you long ago, and uh, now I realize that uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to fulfill that commitment. And in the next chapter, we can see that part of the commitment was that he does eventually go to Nineveh, where he was determined he would not go. And so he says, Lord, I'm going to pay my vows. I was looking that, reading that in the text, and I discovered that the pagans in chapter 1, as a result of Jonah's limp witness, actually ended up believing in God and paying their vows. And you realize that sometimes, sometimes a child of God can have a harder heart, a more stubborn will, a more determined personality, to blow God off than even pagans who apparently came to know the true God. It's amazing what Christians have done. Have you ever been surprised at Christians? We shouldn't be surprised at those who aren't Christians, but our surprise is people who have been redeemed by God trying to thwart God's will, trying to do others in to the very best of their ability with all of their might, trying to thwart what would be the acceptable will of God. So God says, Jonah, have you learned something here? And he says, yeah, one thing I've learned is no more idols. In fact, I'm going to give thanks to you, he says. And then there's something else that God purified, and that was Jonah's theology. He comes out with this marvelous statement, salvation belongs to the Lord. A well-known preacher in England by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that Jonah in the belly of the fish went in an Arminian. That is to say he believed in free will and, you know, that we direct things basically. And he came out a Calvinist. Now, Now, that word Calvinism, some people don't like. I'm only quoting Spurgeon, you understand. Just quoting Spurgeon. No quote of mine would fit here. But uh, there's there's a stress on the sovereignty of God, and, and he's saying salvation is of the Lord. He's talking about his own salvation. His own deliverance, there's no question about that. But but there's a larger statement in Scripture that salvation is of the Lord. That is to say that it is God who redeems us. It is God who initiates us by having Jesus Christ die on the cross. God initiates salvation. And then God applies it to the human heart. 
Salvation has to be of God. I began this message by quoting the words of Jesus that no man comes to me except the Father drags him. And unless we were dragged into the kingdom, we would go our own way. We would reject Christ. We would see no reason why we should believe. And so God grants us that ability to believe. Well, as you know, there are words that are oftentimes used today, such as Calvinism and Arminianism. And I do need to make this disclaimer that uh, those of us who might want to use one label or another, we do not necessarily in any way exalt a person. I personally don't believe everything that Calvin wrote. And so those designations are sometimes used, though, just as handy handles to help us. The issue is not Calvinism or Arminianism. The issue is whether or not you are willing to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit that God has graciously given you. He graciously gives that to us, first of all, when we are unsaved to draw us to the Savior. And that's why we believe salvation is of the Lord. And then on the other hand, he continues to prompt us as believers to come to Christ, to come clean, to confess all of our sins, to invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our lives and to follow him with a discipleship that is uh, fruitful. Bottom line, don't say no to the voice of God. Thank you, Dr. Lutzer. That was Dr. Erwin Lutzer with part two of Death to Self-Reliance, the second message in his series on brokenness, how God gets us to say yes, studies in the book of Jonah. On Monday, tune in for more on Jonah's response to the ordeal of being in the belly of a great fish. Our current four-part series can be yours on CD, cassette, or MP3. For full information, call us toll-free at 1-800-215-5001. That's 1-800-215-5001. When you call, ask about how God gets us to say yes. Learn about the many resources Moody Church has to offer by visiting our website at runningtowin.org. And please don't forget, this program is supported by listeners like you. This is Dave McAllister. For more about Jonah, join us for the Monday edition of Running to Win.